Thank you, worship team. It's powerful to be able to worship God through song like that. Actually, the, the previous song, the one written by Graham Kendrick, Knowing You, Jesus, took me back 20 years. Back in 1997, Graham came out to Dubai and actually did tours all throughout the Gulf region. I remember being at Holy Trinity Church, outdoor open worship service. And of course, the Iranian club is just across the street. And we were just kind of singing to them. And then later on, getting, you know, the Dubai Creek, getting one of the Abras and his band and all the singers and going out to the middle of the creek and turning off the engine and just floating down the creek and serenading the city of Dubai with songs like that. I remember two boats came out. One boat was full of Emiratis, and they just said, that is the most beautiful singing we ever heard. The other boat was the police boat coming out to see, is our engine broken, are we okay? <laughs> and we said, yeah, we're really fine. And they said, that's beautiful music. Keep going. There's something special when we're worshiping Almighty God together. Well, last Saturday at All Saints Church, there was a celebration service. It's the, the halfway point of the building of the new Anglican church there. And they're hoping that in the next maybe six or seven months it will actually be completed. There's a picture there that you can see. And uh, last Saturday, it was just a worship time. Again, the different churches coming together, of which Grace was there and Pastor Steve Fuller was there. And it was just an exciting time to, to dream together. What will it look like in a few more months where every hour and a half there will be 4,200 people coming to worship? And then as they go out, 4,200 more will come in, and you know how it works in places that don't have the privilege of having their own place like we have here. But last week, we talked a little bit about going deeper. And a fun thing for me this week was actually talking to a few people, and they were sharing with me what God had told them in their lives of how they need to go deeper. And I would imagine that God has been speaking to many of us here. And I would just encourage you, before you go home today, just grab somebody else and say, you know what? This is what God has been sharing in my life. And just, just bless someone else with that. Well, one of the things that God challenged me with to go deeper is just to have more time in prayer, more time seeking his face, and I'm encouraged about the prayer team. I'm encouraged about on Tuesday night, there's a, 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 a community prayer time for the church. And that's something that Teresa and I want to start going to. And then we also found out that actually Tuesday is a day of fasting for those who would like to. And I just felt like, hey, count me in. I want to be part of that, praying, fasting for the church. And I remember just talking with those who were telling me about the fasting and I said, well, what do you mean when you say fasting? And they say, well, it just means that we only have liquids from the morning until the evening, and then we have a meal together. And being the spiritual giant that I am, I said, does milkshakes count as liquids? 
And the vote was three to one. I was the one. So I lost on that one. But this sense of what God wants to do in our own personal lives as we come closer and joining hands with him on a more regular basis. And just to reinforce that message for me, I got a letter from a friend yesterday, and in it he had a a quote. And it was just one of those quotes that just pierced me like an arrow. And it was a quote from Samuel Chadwick, who was a minister back around 1900. And this is what he said about prayer. The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Father God, as we even begin to think what it means for us to enter into your throne room when we come with our requests, and you describe our requests as as golden bowls just full of incense that is coming before your throne. Lord, help us to hold hands with you every minute of every day, talking with you throughout the day for our friends, our marriages, our homes, our neighborhoods, our work. Lord, we just want to see your will done in our lives. We want more than anything else to know you and to love you. Help us in that, we ask in Jesus' name. Who is Jesus? And what did Jesus do? Throughout this journey through this passage this morning, we're going to have a picture of the cross. And on that cross, we're going to be putting the, the nuggets that we learn about who Jesus is and what Jesus did. But who is Jesus? This actually is a very important question in the world. And when you go out in the workplace or out on the street, you're going to find all kinds of different answers of who Jesus is. The Mormons will say that Jesus is one of Elohim's spirit children. He's the spirit brother of Lucifer. Jehovah's Witnesses will say Jesus is God's created son. He had a beginning. New Agers will say that Jesus is an avatar or an enlightened messenger. In Islam, they will say Jesus is one of God's highest ranked and most beloved prophets. Secularists will say Jesus was a good moral teacher. Actually, we get that one a lot. Jesus was a good moral teacher. I love what C.S. Lewis said about that point. He writes, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, 
I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. He goes on. He says you can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him, kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Our Jesus. What did Jesus say about himself? I want to just summarize through some of the sayings out of the gospel. And I want you to listen to what Jesus claims and the response of the people who heard it. John chapter 5, verse 16. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. John chapter 8, verse 57. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself, went out of the temple. John chapter 10, verse 24. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Matthew chapter 9. Behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying in a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. 
And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, says, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and he went home. And finally, Mark 14, verse 61. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You've heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Make no mistake, our Jesus has claimed to be equal with the Father. He forgives sins, He heals the sick, He is seated at the right hand of the Heavenly One. Well, as we go into this, picture of who Jesus is that Paul is going to expand for us. I want to just talk about the last couple verses from last week. Because there we also find a picture of Jesus, who he is and what he did. Starting in verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so we look now at the chart, and I'd like to start putting into the chart these things that we are discovering. And we find that there's this domain of darkness that we were all part of. And yet we have been moved over to be in this kingdom of light, which is the kingdom of Jesus. And he is the one that delivered us, that transferred us to be in this new kingdom. So let's go on in verse 15 of chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible F.F. Bruce says this, to say that Christ is the image of God is to say that in him the nature and being of God have been perfectly revealed, that in him the invisible has become visible. We know God because we know Jesus. He goes on to say he is the firstborn of all creation. What, What does that mean, this firstborn? This is not referring to Jesus being the first thing created because we see the very next verses that he himself created all things. Rather, it refers to his priority in time and rank. He is preeminent. He is the Father's heir. He is the heir of all things. 
Verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. I don't know how often we think of the Lord Jesus Christ as the creator. And yet he is revealed to us in that realm. You know, it's hard for us, I think, sometimes living in a city to see the glory of God in creation. Too much pavement, too much concrete, too many lights. But just for a moment, I want to take us into his creation. I'd like to show you this night sky, this beautiful photo where you look up and and you see the stars, and every one of us can probably remember times where we've been out in the country with no lights, and you look up, and you just see the incredible expanse of the heavens. Jesus, the one who created this. And in this particular picture, as you're looking and you see this this bright band, that's what we call the Milky Way. And what we're actually doing is we're looking back into the center of our own galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy. And that's why that strip is so bright as it goes through the sky. Well, I want to show you what our galaxy looks like. This is a picture of galaxy M81. Obviously, it's not the Milky Way. Our galaxy is just like this galaxy, a spiral galaxy. This is not a painting. This is not a drawing. This is an actual photograph that was taken by the Hubble telescope. And we just see the the incredible, awesome glory and beauty. And this would actually fall into the category of things invisible for most of history because it's been there. But until we had these tools today, we couldn't see it. And then when you think about God's creation, the Lord Jesus creating this incredible universe with the galaxies in it, the enormous expanse of what this is blows my mind. Because when we begin to even think, how big is this galaxy? We have to create new terms to even talk about it. Because when we talk about the distance of a mile or the distance of a kilometer, we can't use it for things this big. So you know what they use? They use a term called light years. And what that time represents or that distance is that in a year, light travels this far. Well, light travels at 186,000 miles Per second, 300,000 kilometers per second. And so when you think how far light is traveling through those seconds, minutes, hours, weeks, months, until a year, it is a phenomenal distance. You turn a light on the moon, and it takes about 1.3 seconds for us to see it. About eight minutes for light to come from the sun to us. But now when we imply that to this galaxy, the breadth of that galaxy, for light to go from one side to the other, 
would take 100,000 years. Brothers and sisters, this, this is our God creating this incredible, vast universe for his own glory, through his own power, through the own words of his mouth. But this Hubble telescope that took this picture, back in the 90s, they pointed the Hubble telescope and they found a little spot in the sky that was dark where there was no stars, where they couldn't see anything, and they pointed the Hubble telescope at that. And this next slide is the results of what they found. These are not stars. These are individual galaxies. Just within this little portion of the sky, the Hubble telescope has found about 10,000 galaxies in this picture. One portion of the sky. One galaxy has over 100 billion stars. Our God, the Lord Jesus, the one who has created. In John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. As we carry on in Colossians and what Paul is teaching them about who Jesus is and what he's done, beginning now in verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him... All things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. Our head, your head, my head. You know, the thing that makes it so special to be part of the family of God is knowing that we're all reporting to Almighty God. But as Jesus is the head, it also challenges us in how we treat brothers and sisters in different churches or denominations or even uh, historical Christian traditions. There is only one Lord. There's only one Savior. There is only one church, one people of God, one body, and one bride that will be taken to heaven. We are part of that bigger family. He is the head of the body, his church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So when we look at this chart, again, we see now listed on it are just these qualities that we've heard about who Jesus is, being the image of God, being the beginning, the creator, sustainer. Things that are answering that question, who is our God. So we go to verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. 
God reconciling people through Jesus. That word, reconcile, it means to reestablish proper, friendly, interpersonal relationships after these have been disrupted or broken. Our relationship with the living God, it was broken in the garden. There was total separation between a holy and righteous God and us as sinful people. Who is Jesus? What did, what did he come to do? He came to bridge the gap. He came to be able to restore the relationship. But the truth of the matter is, we were not able to restore that ourselves. There was nothing that we could do. It had to come from God. It had to be God reaching down into the gutters to pull us up. And he did that. But it cost. It cost. That peace is described here by the blood of the cross. By the blood of the cross. You know, when we think of this incredible Bible that God has given to us and the whole first section in the Old Testament talking about sacrifices, talking about how when people sin, the law said you had to go and find an unblemished animal and slit their throat and let the blood pour out. And somehow that was a symbol of the sin of the people being put on the sacrifice and that they then could go on. Often at times they would put their hands on the animal as if transferring. But all of that, all of that picture of the Old Testament and the sacrificial system was just a picture. It was just pointing ahead to the ultimate sacrifice, the sacrifice that would pay for the sins of all mankind. The writer to Hebrews explains this. The writer of Hebrews bridges that gap between that, the Old Testament sacrificial system and the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says. This is in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of uh, defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. I love the picture of that verse because it brings in the Godhead. It brings in all three persons of the Holy Trinity into that function of our salvation. How much more will the blood of Christ, God the Son, who through the eternal Spirit, God the Spirit, offered himself without blemish to God, God the Father, for us. He continues down in verse 22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything 
is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. If Jesus does not die on the cross, if there is not blood on the cross, we are still without hope and in our sins. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest entered the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. This was the plan. This is what he came for. Jesus came to die. And we saw that through John the Baptist, the prophet, before Jesus even started his ministry. And John the Baptist saw him, and what did he say? Behold, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Well, we go back to Colossians And we pick it up in verse 21. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If we just fill that information onto the chart and we see what Christ again has done, taking us, we were people hostile to God. We weren't nice people. We weren't good people. We were against the things of God, doing evil deeds, alienated from him, He's restored the relationship with God through his death. And I love the way it says to present us. Can you imagine that that there's going to be that time in the future where we are going to be in heaven, there's going to be God the Father. We are going to be presented by the Lord Jesus Christ. Not as the sinful people we are, but he's going to say, This is Kevin. This is Cole. This is Ruth. And they're covered with my blood. I paid the price for them. And they stand now holy and blameless and above reproach. That is what Jesus accomplished on the cross. 
when we come down to verse 23. And he says, something now for us. It was impossible for us to reach up to God, but God has provided salvation through Jesus, and now there is our part. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Faithful, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope. Brothers and sisters, that is our role in this. Whatever free choice that we have in God's sovereign kingdom, like Joshua, he says, as for me and my house, we're making a choice. We will serve the living God. And for us, as we make this choice, that we will love God with all of our heart and all of our minds and all of our strength. We will continue and we will persevere and we will be steadfast to the truths that God has given to us here. Of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. As we look at our chart, we see our role, that we do our part. And I'd like to go to just the last chart, which puts everything together. Is Jesus really the way? Is there no other way? Well, now we can begin to understand when Scripture says there is no other name under heaven of which man can be saved. Why? Because salvation can only come through the blood sacrifice that pays the debt of sin. Is Jesus the only way? He is the only way. When we look at the good news, when we look at this whole picture, it is good news. Because we start in that dominion of darkness, people being chained in their sin that they can't even break out if they wanted to. Alienated, hostile. And then God the Father sends God the Son to come to build the bridge. God the Son, he's in the image of God, the fullness of God, the firstborn, creator the head of the church, that is who he's described at. And through his death, through the blood, he did incredible things for us. He enabled us to be transferred. He enabled us to be delivered. He redeemed us. That means he purchased us back to God. And in that process, he forgives us. And he qualifies us. And so we have made this journey from darkness over to his kingdom, kingdom of light. And the hope of that kingdom is when we die forever and ever, we'll be with him in glory. That is our eternal hope that he has given to us. Who is Jesus? He is God the Son. 
with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, somehow the Godhead has created us, wants to be in relationship with us. And when we messed up, God provided that way for us to come back fully into relationship with him. And I love how Revelation talks about heaven because it talks about us being with God face to face. The relationship restored. Paradise restored. The harmony, the love restored the way it was designed in the beginning. That is our Jesus. He is our hope and our salvation. Father, as we just come before you reading these words, trying to even grasp what it means that you're creator and what you great lakes you went to to bring salvation to us, we just want to bow our heads and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Maybe this morning you're here And maybe this has been the first time you've really heard or understood that this is what Jesus is all about and what salvation is all about. And you may be saying, what what do I do? It's really simple. Jesus just said, what you need to do, recognize you're in the domain of darkness. Repent. Just repent. God, I'm sorry for the things that I've done for my life, my rebellion. I want to turn from that, and I want to serve you. Repent and then believe. Just say, God, I accept the truth of what has just been shared from your holy word. I accept salvation in Jesus. If you prayed that prayer this morning, come see me afterwards or come see one of the leaders in the church. Father God, for those of us that have known you and are living in this world, oh God, would you give us courage to go forward? Would you give us perseverance to be the people you want us to be in this day? Father, would you take the shackles of mediocrity off of us? And Lord, would we be passionate for you? Would we be militant for you? Lord God, because you were everything to us. Lord, thank you for this great love and the great salvation. And we give you all the praise and all the honor and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.